0: with that, I'm just delaying the inevitable because we have to begin eventually. And I don't like this message because it's been painful this week. I don't know how many times when I've been studying and and getting this ready, I've just wanted to cut out my tongue and deal with it. Uh, It'd be a lot easier if I didn't have a tongue to get through life. I'd get in a lot less trouble without my tongue because the truth is, I mean, we get in a lot of trouble with our tongues around here. And I am not preaching this message at you. I'm preaching this message at me, hoping that you get something out of it because this is an area God's really working in my life on and i'm really growing first in because this has been a weakness in my life uh, for years and so i'm really just asking god to deal with me uh these five weeks and so it's not the most pleasant messages for me because they're tough how many know sometimes we need to be challenged through the word of god and to step up our life because there's areas of growth and People around us need it. See, when you step up spiritually, when you step up to another level in your faith, it doesn't just impact you, but it impacts those closest to you. It impacts your wife, it impacts your husband, it impacts your children, it impacts your neighbors. When God takes you to another level, everybody around you are impacted in a positive way. So let's just open ourselves up today and really let God speak these hard truths to us. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 is our foundation text for this series. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life, that's how powerful your tongue is. Literally, death and life are in the power of your tongue. Last week, we talked about the value of your words. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to listen to it online. This week, we're talking about the truth about words. So I invite you to pull out your notes, follow along with us today. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 12. We started in Matthew chapter 12 last week. We're going to go back in and dig in a little deeper. Look at Matthew chapter 12 with me, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Now I want you to remember, the tree is your heart, the fruit is your mouth. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. The tree is your heart and the fruit is your mouth. If the tree is good, then the fruit will be good. If the tree is bad, the heart is bad, then the fruit, the mouth will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me tell you something. The mouth simply reveals what's in your heart. So there's no such thing as, I didn't mean that, because the mouth reveals what is in your heart. Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth or speaks good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth or speaks evil things. Verse 36 is where I really want you to pay attention. But I say to you that for every idle word, Men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. Verse 37, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, we all know that salvation is by grace and grace alone. You don't have to clean up your life to come to God. That's the misconception. A lot of people think, well, I got I to gotta straighten up before I go to church. I got to clean up before I go. We are no perfect people allowed church. I mean, we are for the broken. We are for the hurting. We, our dream as a church family is to build a place where people feel like, well, if I go there, the roof's going to cave in on my head. We want those people to feel comfortable here. Because I feel like the Apostle Paul, I'm the worst sinner of us all. I, mean, I am the chief sinner. I've got a past that it's a miracle people even let me be a pastor if you knew all of my past. So we are saved by grace and grace alone. But this is the key. When grace truly comes into your heart, your heart begins to change. And when your heart begins to change, your words begin to change, your actions begin to change, your life begins to change. If there's no change in your words, your actions, in your life, even if it's a, it's a small gradual change, if there's no change, then the question you have to ask yourself, did grace really come into my heart? Because grace changes you. Now, you won't be perfect overnight. We are all a work in progress. But there, that's why the Bible talks about restoration, sanctification, walking in Christ. Because we've got, you know, there's one thing for a car to be redeemed out of a junkyard. It's a whole other thing for a car to be restored. I mean, no, a redeemed car is an ugly car. It's a restored car that's beautiful. We don't want to just be redeemed and on our way to heaven. We want to be restored and Beautiful. That's the goal of the Christian life. And so when grace comes in, our heart begins to change, which changes everything else. So let me give you three truths about words today and three corresponding lies that Satan wants you to believe about these truths. Number one, in your notes, words cost. Words cost. Now, let me just ask you, do you mind this morning if I could just speak freely for a minute? Well, you said yes, but actually the answer is no. I can't speak freely because words cost. My words are not free. I I cannot this morning speak freely with you because the words that I speak... Costs. and I know our founding forefathers they, they they gave us rights endowed by our creator and I want to say that again our founding forefathers gave us rights that were endowed by our creator and I know we have a, a, a world today that 's trying to remove the creator out of our government but if you read the Constitution if you read the articles in the bill they are so full of scripture they are so full of father Son and Holy Spirit our founding forefathers knew what they were doing and they gave us rights endowed by our creator in a One of those rights is freedom of speech. But how many know freedom is not free? Freedom costs somebody. Somebody gave their life to give us that freedom of speech. And just because we have freedom of speech, does that mean our words are free? No, just because we we legally have freedom of speech in America, does that mean I can say whatever I want to say and not give an account of it before God? Does that mean I can say whatever I want to say to my wife and it not cost me anything? Can I say anything I want to say to my coworkers or, or, or the people I live with and it not affect or cost the relationship I have with them in any way? You see, I may have the legal rights of an American as freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean my words are free. Because, let me, let me tell you something, 18 years ago I became a citizen of a higher kingdom than America. Eighteen years ago, when I was born again, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I became a citizen of a whole another kingdom. And, And yes, I'm an American, and I'm proud to be American. I'm probably one of the most patriotic people I know. But I'm a Christian first and an American second. And I live by a higher standard, a higher law, and a higher level of character and integrity than what America allows me. So just because something is legal does not mean that it's right. You know, for example, if a guy goes to Nevada where, where prostitution and brothels are legal and, and goes into a brothel and God holds him into account for it, what's he going to say? Well, God, I was in Nevada. Just because something is legal does not mean that it is right, and I live by a higher law. Look at Psalm 141, verse 3 with me. Psalm 141, verse 3. Take control of what I say, O Lord. Guard my lips. Look at Psalm 39 with me. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. You know, you can sin with your tongue. Next, next Sunday, I'm, the title of the message next week is, Ten Deadly Sins of Your Tongue. We're going to talk about 10 deadly sins that you commit with your tongue. It goes on to say, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. Now, I know that would look funny, but how many know that's probably a pretty good idea for some of us? I mean, I know it'd look funny going to work with a big muzzle on your face, but how many know that would protect some of us from getting in the trouble we get into? I mean, I don't know how many times I said this week as I was studying this message, I just wanted to cut my tongue out because it'd be a lot easier to live without a tongue than the trouble my tongue gets me into so often. Now, thank God uh, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. But words cost. Words cost. And it'd be better to have a muzzle sometime. If you don't believe me that words cost, ask ESPN's Rob Parker. He'll tell you that words cost. He, he said something the other day, lost his job over it. I mean, we know people who will post things on Twitter, post things on Facebook, say things on air. A candidate will say something in a debate and lose an election. Why? Because words cost. How many of you ever said this? You know, I probably shouldn't say this right now. But then what do we do? We say it. You know, if you've ever had that thought, if you've ever said that statement, it's either common sense or the Holy Spirit. Either way, you should listen. Here's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. Words are free. Satan wants you to believe that words are free, but words cost. Number two, second thing I want to say today, words hurt. Words hurt. Words are painful. Words can devastate. There are people in this room right now who are still working through issues because of words that were spoken over you 20, 30, 40, and even 50 years ago. You see, words hurt. And I'm about to say something right now that that is very, very extreme. And I don't want you to misunderstand. Just because something is extreme does not mean it's being exaggerated. Yes, I am being extreme intentionally, but I in no way am exaggerating this point. We have taught something to our children in America that I believe is straight from the pit of hell. It is demonic, it is satanic, and it is straight from the pit of hell. And it's the old saying that we like to sing, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There is nothing more satanic than that phrase. Words devastate people. Words hurt people. Words, your body will physically heal. But some of the words that have been spoken over you, you're still dealing with today, years later. Why? Because words hurt. Look at Proverbs chapter uh, 26 with me. And let me give you the lie of this point. See, this, this this is the lie from Satan. The lie is words hurt unless you're joking. That's the lie. Words hurt unless you can say whatever you want to say as long as you give a disclaimer at the end and say, I was just kidding. I didn't mean that. I'm just joking. I mean, you know what I say? That's the lie Satan wants us to believe, that you can say whatever you want to say, and it doesn't hurt if you're joking. As long as you're joking, it doesn't hurt people. Now look at Proverbs 26 with me. Let's, let's look at how the Bible deals with this. People who shrug off deliberate deceptions... What's a deliberate deception? Well, another uh, a, a, a translation of that would be sarcasm, lying, you know, jabbing somebody, saying something untrue for fun. People who shrug off deliberate deception, saying, "I didn't mean it. I was only joking." How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever said those? I, I didn't mean it. I was only joking. You know what the Bible likens that to? The Bible says are worse than careless campers who walk away from smoldering campfires. Now, living in North County, that's a very real illustration to us. Why? Because we have fires in these canyons that literally burn down thousands of homes. We have people in our church who have lost homes because a careless camper walked away from a smoldering fire and now thousands of acres have been burned down, homes have been lost, property have been lost, and even at times, lives have been lost. That's the type of destruction that is caused by a careless camper. And God is saying, when you use words like, well, I didn't mean that, I was just kidding. I mean, you're, take, you're taking me too seriously. God's saying when you use words like that, you're as bad as a careless camper who starts fires that literally cost millions of dollars and damage people's homes, people's property, and even people's lives. That's what God likens those words to. I mean, this is serious stuff, people. We love to put little jabs and little hints and little comments in there when we, we just love to jab people with our words. And I'm guilty. I admit, this is an area God's dealing with me on. Because what happens is when we get jabbed, what do we want to do? We want to stab back. And I grew up with a loaded gun for a mouth. It's it's kind of ironic that I'm a preacher today, that I make a living with my mouth. as, As many people as I hurt with my mouth growing up. Because if you were going to say something ugly about me, I was going to get you back. And I was going to make sure it hurt, and I was going to make sure, you know, and, and then if I got caught and you got mad or, or something, I would always, I'd always use my get out of jail free card by saying, well, I didn't really mean that. I was just, you're just, you're, you're just too sensitive. You're, you're, you're taking it, you know, you're taking it the wrong way. I didn't mean that. And that was always the get out of jail free card. Well, the Bible says you do mean it. The Bible says out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. I mean, imagine me walking by an orange tree and I see all these beautiful oranges on this orange tree and I say to the orange tree, man, those are some beautiful oranges. And the orange tree looks at me and says, I'm not an orange tree, I'm an apple tree. I don't mean anything by these oranges. Listen, if you've got oranges, you're an orange tree. Imagine trying to pull that with God. You say something, the Holy Spirit convicts you. Why'd you say that? And then then you try to say to the Holy Spirit, Well, I didn't really mean that. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to say to me? Are you kidding? I wrote the book. I'm the one that said, Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. See, when you're challenged by your word, when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, Listen, don't say that. Don't try to justify it. Don't tell the Holy Spirit, Well, I was just kidding or I didn't mean it. Just own it. Just say, Forgive me, Holy Spirit. I didn't even know that that was still in my heart. But there's obviously a root somewhere in my heart for that to come out of my mouth. And just deal with it. Pull the root out. Deal with the root. Deal with your heart. Because if it's coming out of your mouth, there's something in your heart that you've not dealt with yet. And you know what? One of the biggest problems with this in America is sarcasm. Sarcasm. Sarcasm is so painful, so hurtful, and and we literally live in one of the most sarcastic cultures and societies where we build television shows on sarcasm and comedy on sarcasm. It's just sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm. I saw a poster on this this week when I was researching this message. It said, sarcasm, it beats killing people. It's supposed to be funny, but they are killing people with it. I read another poster that was trying to be funny, and it was actually more true than funny. It said, My soul was removed to make room for all of this sarcasm. And I thought, that's, that's, that's pretty appropriate. I read two articles this week on sarcasm I'd like to share with you today. The first article starts off by saying, Is sarcasm lying? Technically, yes, sarcasm is lying. And do you know why God hates lying? You know, God hates sin. But the Bible says there are six sins that God really hates. And one of those sins that God really, really hates is lying. And the reason God hates lying is because God is truth. God doesn't just like truth. God is truth. His very nature is truth. So when you lie with your tongue, you are literally speaking against the nature of God. That's why he hates lying above other sins. It's because it's speaking against his nature goes on to say, a lie is when the truth is not told. Sarcasm is the opposite of the truth for the purpose of humor, so sarcasm is lying. While this is important to point out, it completely misses the other problem with sarcasm. Sarcasm is used as a form of dark humor. Sarcasm is a mask for hiding one's true opinions, thoughts, and or feelings. As a result, sarcasm often brings forth negativity, pessimism, and or uncooperativeness. Let me read to you another article I read about sarcasm. It has often been noted that sarcasm is the refuge of the weak. Why? Because it's a way of tearing down others for a laugh, but in a way that is indirect enough that the insulted person feels shame rather than directly attacked. He goes on to say, I used to be highly sarcastic, but have been convinced that sarcastic remarks are completely unloving and thus inappropriate for Christians. Unfortunately, before letting loose a sarcastic remark, we often consider the comedic, quote-unquote, if I dare call it that, aspects of what we are saying, rather than the derogatory side. Sarcasm is most often employed when someone is too lazy to make a reasonable argument or complaint or not smart enough to do so. And let me give you the dictionary definitions of sarcasm. Number one, a cutting, often ironic remark intended to wound Number two, a form of wit that is marked by the use of sarcastic language and is intended to make its victim the butt of contempt or ridicule. Now, let me just ask you as a, as a believer, just as a human being in general, is that what you really want your heart to be represented by? Because that, that's how you feel about people. The words you speak, the words that come out of your mouth is a representation of what's in your heart. Is that how you want your heart represented? I know this is tough. So how do we, because because the reality is, me, starting with me, I'm sure a lot of us in this room have failed in these areas. So how do we deal if we failed in these areas? What do we do if we've spoken bad words? Repent. Plain and simple. You repent. How do you deal with it when other people have spoken words over you? Forgive. Forgive. When when you forgive, you give God the ability to let that person off the hook and come in and heal you. Because as long as you're holding on to that person, God can't heal you. That's why those words 40 years, 50 years later are still affecting people because they never forgave. And forgiving doesn't mean what they did was right. It means you let your heart off the hook to that person so that God can come in and heal you. Forgiveness is all about you, not the other person. But that's how you deal with those words. Find the roots and pull them out. I love this in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at this with me. Ephesians chapter 5. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip. I mean, there's people, man, their mouth just gets wet when they're around a piece of juicy gossip. They love the the tabloid magazines. They love to find out what's going on in celebrity lives. They love just just the, the family drama. They just love just just they just love the gossip. I mean, they just want to know their, their tongue just starts getting wet. I mean, they just can't wait to get a good piece of juicy gossip in their mouth. I mean, how many of those people like that? You know, they just love that juicy gossip. And it goes on to say, those who follow Jesus have better use for their language than that. Let me just tell you right now, if you follow Jesus, you got much better use for your language than that. You got a lot higher purpose for your mouth and your language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. I love this. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. I love I love the way it doesn't fit our style. Reminds me of a song, Womp Womp Jesus Style. Sorry, sorry. I know that was terrible. I'm going to be sleeping on the couch now after pulling that in front of my wife. But I can't believe I just pulled that out. But that was terrible. I know. I know. It was terrible. I'm going to move on. It doesn't fit our style. Some of us need to get Jesus style. My son, he loves that song. So we changed the words for him. And all week long, he's been singing Jesus style, Jesus style. So it's so funny. Listen to it. That's what we need is we need Jesus style with our tongue. We need Jesus style with our mouth. And then I love this last sentence. You want to know. What Jesus style is right here. Thanksgiving is our dialect. That's Jesus style. You want to talk Jesus style? Use your tongue for Thanksgiving. Don't don't use your tongue to complain and speak negativity and gloom and doom and, and, and gossip and use your tongue for Thanksgiving and you will have a much happier life. I mean, some of you are so miserable and the reason you're so miserable is because you're not using Jesus style with your tongue. Thanksgiving isn't your dialect. You know, it's so funny how people are always wondering why they're so miserable. But if you listen to their words, it makes total sense. Thanksgiving is our dialect. If you follow Jesus, you have such a higher purpose for your tongue than always speaking gloom. Learn to speak Thanksgiving. It's powerful. It'll change your life. And then the third thing I want to say today, the third truth is words Last. Words last. And here's the lie of what Satan wants you to believe. Words are evaporative. Satan wants you to believe that your words just evaporate. They just dissipate. They just go away. But the truth is words last. That's why your mouth can start a forest fire. And I would encourage you, study James chapter 3 for the next couple weeks, because we're going to be looking at James chapter 3 in this series. Words can start a forest fire. And, And why do words start a forest fire? Because there's a forest there. You can only start a forest fire if there's a forest. This is what I mean. You speak something jokingly over somebody, and it all of a sudden gets blown up into this forest fire. Why? Because 10 other people said the same thing about them before you did. And there was this forest in their life because you're not the only one that said that. They had all these trees planted in their life by other people. Yours was just the match that set it ablaze. I mean, how many times have you, have you said something and you wonder, how in the world did this get blown out of proportion? How in this world did this become so big and get me in so much trouble because there was already a forest there in the first place? And this is so important for us to remember in marriage. Because it's so easy to use our words to destroy our marriages when God wants our words to, to... You know, that's why last week we talked about Jesus washes his bride with his words. And we asked, husbands, are you washing your bride with your words or are you defiling your bride with your words? See, that, that was my biggest problem in marriage because I was trained to win arguments. I mean, I went to speech and debate growing up. And it's partly why I'm a preacher today is because, you know, I, I make a living speaking. And so I was trained to be a good speaker and win arguments. And that doesn't work in marriage. My wife will tell you, it caused a lot of pain and a lot of heartache for her. Because I would manipulate her. I would make her feel bad about herself. I would make her feel dumb just by... And I would do it in a very nice way with a smile on my face. You know, I'd try to be, well, I'm just being logical. And I would just crush her. And I still fail in this area from time to time. I'm growing it. I think I'm a little better putting her on the spot. A little better, she said, a little better. You know, but it's like, you know, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I many of my last week I said, you know, the seven divine words to heal every relationship. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You have to mean that when you say it or it doesn't work. I don't know how many times I said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You're just saying that to shut me up and it doesn't work. You have to really mean that to say it. And you have to use your words to glorify God and, and really build a healthy relationship. Cause some of you, you may be winning the disagreement, but you're losing the agreement in your marriage. You may be winning the battle, but you're losing the war. Because how many know when you win in marriage, you've really lost? There's no winning in marriage. There's only being unified in marriage. Neither one of you wants to win because if either one of you wins, you've really, the marriage has lost. So it's not about you winning. It's about the marriage winning. And the marriage, for the marriage to win, you've got to come together in agreement. You've got to come together and be unified. And so I've given you a lot of tough, challenging news today, but let me give you some good news to close Yes, it's true that bad words last, but let me give you the good news. Good words also last. Good words also last. You can speak life over somebody in those words. You know, we talked about words cost, but words can also be an investment into somebody's life. We said words hurt, but you can use your words to bring healing in somebody's life. Bad words last, but the truth is good words also last. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me. Paul is praying for young Timothy, and I love the way Paul does this. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Now, this word remember in the Greek comes from comes from a root kind of Greek word that basically means graveyard monument. That's the word Paul is using, a word they use to describe a graveyard monument. Now look at verse 5. We see this word again. I remember your genuine faith. Paul is saying, Timothy, I am praying for you. I am going to God with your need in prayer. I am building a graveyard monument in front of God about your life and about your needs so that God can see my prayers built for you. And what is a graveyard monument, a tombstone? It's not there to remember that somebody died. It's there to remember somebody lived. That's the power of why words last. Why? This is why a grandmother can pray for her grandson to accept Jesus Christ. And 20 years after she's dead and gone, the grandson finally gets saved. Why? Because words last. The prayer she prayed, she built monuments. She remembered that grandson. She built these graveyard monuments in heaven before God of her grandson. And those words, let me give you a silly illustration of what I can imagine this looks like. This is totally silly, but, but imagine God getting up every morning and he, and he goes out the front door of his house and he's going to get the newspaper, going to check the mail, and he gets out the front door of his house and all of a sudden there's all these monuments in his front yard that this grandmother built in prayer for her grandson. And so every morning he's having to weave through all of these monuments to get to the mailbox. And he finally one day he wakes up and there's all these monuments, this grandmother built in prayer, and he finally just gets tired of trying to get through it. And he said, well, somebody go get that boy saved. <laughs> and if you have to, knock him off a horse and blind him. And if you don't think God would do that, read Acts chapter 9. Because God will actually, absolutely do whatever it takes to bring you to that point. See, words last. That grandmother built those monuments. That's why you can't stop praying for people. You can't give up for people. You build those monuments before God for, for your family, for your loved ones, for your friends, for your neighbors. Words last. This is so important in marriage, too. You know, in, in life, a, a lot of our identity and our self-esteem is set by our parents, The words our parents spoke over us. That's why you see a girl who could be absolutely beautiful, but if her mom or her dad told her she was ugly, doesn't matter how beautiful she is, she always feels ugly. Because those words made an imprint on her. And yes, the Holy Spirit has the ability to to restructure that and recorrect that. But do you know there's one human relationship that also has that ability? According to scripture and according to psychology. And that's marriage. That's why God is so careful about marriage and and the words. Why? Because you as a husband, you as a wife, have the ability to reprogram your spouse. The negative words that were spoke over her or over him by their parents, you have the ability with your words to reprogram their identity, reprogram their esteem. God's given you that ability. That's why married couples, your words are so important to each other. Your words are so important. Words hurt, but they also heal. Words last. I'm going I'm to close with a story. I'm studying this book right now, The Power of Your Words by Pastor Robert Morris. And getting a lot of stuff out of here for this series. And he, he shares a story in this book that I wanted to read to you today in closing. It says, many years ago, a seminary professor was vacationing with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. One morning they were eating at a little breakfast diner and they were hoping to enjoy just a quiet little family meal. And while they were waiting for their food, they noticed this older gentleman, distinguished white-haired man, he was just moving from table to table chatting with all the guests. The professor leaned over to his wife and said, I sure hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, the man eventually found his way to their table. The older gentleman asked the couple, where are you folks from? He asked in a friendly voice. Oklahoma, they said. Well, great to have you here in Tennessee, the white-haired stranger said. What do you do for a living? The man said, I teach at a seminary. He goes, oh, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, I've got a really great story for you. And with that, the older gentleman sat down uninvited at their table. The professor groaned to himself, great, just what I need. Another cheesy sermon illustration. I bet I've already heard it before. The old gentleman pointed out the restaurant window and said, Do you see that mountain over there? Not far from the base of that mountain, there was a little boy born to a poor, unwed mother. The little boy had a very hard time growing up because everywhere he went, he was always asked the same question. Hey boy, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? The identity of that illegitimate's father was was a mystery to the town gossips, and so they were constantly trying to figure it out. So whether he was at school or whether he was at the grocery store, people would always ask him the same question. Who's your daddy, boy? Who's your daddy? Sometimes they asked it innocently, but most of the time it was out of meanness and spite. Regardless, he heard that question wherever he went, and he dreaded it. He would avoid going out at recess time at school and avoid going to lunch with the other students. Many times he would just avoid going out in public altogether because those words hurt him so badly on Sundays the boy would always go to church late and he would always slip out early because he wanted to avoid all the disapproving stares and the the dreaded questions people would ask when he was 12 years old there was a new pastor that got assigned to his church and on the pastor's first day he finished the sermon and the benediction so early that the boy got caught in the crowd and he had to walk out with the rest of the church When the boy got to the back door, the preacher saw him, put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, Hi there, son. Who's your daddy? And with that, a hush fell over the entire crowd, and they all listened in because the question they all wanted to know the answer to was finally going to be asked. The little boy put his head down in shame, embarrassed. The pastor, sensing the awkwardness and being led by the Holy Spirit, quickly followed his question with these words wait a minute i know who you are i see the family resemblance you're a child of god with that the pastor put his hand on the boy's shoulder he said son you have a great inheritance now go and claim it the boy looked up and smiled for the first time in a in a really long time The old man said, it's a pretty good story, isn't it? it?" And the preacher said, yeah, it really was a good story. As the old man got up to walk away, he turned and said, you know, if that new pastor hadn't told me that I was a child of God, I probably would have never amounted to anything. And he walked away and left. The waitress came over to the table and the seminary professor asked the waitress, do you know who that man was? And the waitress said, of course, everybody knows him. That's Ben Hooper, the former governor of Tennessee. Some of you need to know today that you are a child of God. That you have an inheritance that goes way beyond your family name. That you have a new identity, you have a new family, you have a new inheritance. That God wants to speak new words of life over you this morning. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to impress this message upon our hearts. It's not been fun to listen to because I think we've all been challenged. But I think we desperately need to learn the power of our tongues and how to surrender our tongues to you on a daily basis so that we can use our tongues to speak words that glorify you speak words that heal and love and bless and bring hope and bring good news to people and there's people here today who are still dealing with words that were spoken over them as children Right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you break the power of those words. Let them right now just just forgive. Right, right now, if that's you in this room, just to yourself, would you just forgive the people that spoke those words so that God can come in and heal you? Just right now, to yourself, just just say to God, to yourself, God, I forgive those people who spoke those words over my life. Just Just forgive right now so that God's healing can come into your life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak a new identity. The Bible tells us that when we're born again. We have a new name. You can give us a new reputation. It doesn't matter what we've done up until this point. No matter how much we failed. No matter how much we've hurt people with our words. You can rewrite our reputation. You can rewrite our future by the decisions we make today to surrender to you. And Lord, as long as we're alive, it's never too late to rebuild relationships, to reconcile to speak words of healing As long as there's breath God there's there's that opportunity Lord Thank you Lord let this be a signature of our church that we are a church Lord that uses our tongues to glorify you to love to heal to bless to speak life God Let us not be a church that's known for gossip and not be a church that's known for for negativity. But let us be a church, God, that, that really learns how to surrender our tongues to you on a daily basis so that we can glorify you. Stand with me as we close today. Father, as we leave this morning, bless every person here and let us understand that you will give us the power to accomplish these messages. We cannot accomplish these messages with willpower with our own mind, with our own efforts, that these messages can only be accomplished when we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own power. That's why we need you. This is not a motivational message to teach us how to talk better, God. This is supernatural, and we need your help to accomplish it. And the beauty is you want to help us. If we'll simply surrender daily our tongues to you, you will give us the power and the ability to use them for you. And so as a church, we surrender our tongues to you. We surrender the speech to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you do not have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. As you leave today, these are the words that will change your life. There's free Bibles outside. Please pick up one and let it begin to change your life. We love you. We'll see you next week.